Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. How do you know when it's the Lord speaking to you? Right? Because we're always praying, we're asking God to speak, we're asking God to speak in our life and guide us and direct us. But how do you know when it's the Lord? Do you recognize His voice? Uh, There's a story of a pastor who uh, went to Afghanistan to do some ministry for a while, and a woman showed up in his church um, and started attending. And then at one point, he asked her, where's your husband? And she said, well, uh, God told me to leave my husband behind in the States and bring my four children here to Afghanistan to serve as a missionary. Oh, okay. And, and she said, because God's word says, if you leave your family and, and to work for him, he'll, he'll bless you. He's like, uh, that's not exactly what scripture says. And so he takes her to the passage that she's thinking about in Mark 10, 29, and says, this is what the Bible actually says. And she says, well, God knows more than the Bible, and that's not exactly what he said to me, so I'm going to go with what God said to me. And then she got mad and left the church. And a little while later, she called back to church looking for help. Hey, look, I'm in a bad way. Um, I don't have money. Can't feed my kids. Uh, don't have transportation. I just need help. I didn't know who else to call. And so he started kind of connecting with her again and doing minist- you know, ministering to her and her family. And she just had all these stories of how God told her to do this and God told her to do that. He says, well, how does God speak to you? And she said, the Ouija board. It's like, okay, we're just a lot off target. here. That, that's not a little off target. That's a lot off target. But we might not have such a dramatic you know, gap in what, how God speaks to us, but how do you know it's the Lord when he speaks to you? And here's the reality. Every follower of Christ should seek, recognize, and obey God's voice because it keeps us in relationship with God and in alignment with God. Like alignment with his truth. Every follower of Christ should seek, recognize, obey God's voice because it keeps us in relationship, intimacy with God and keeps us aligned with God. That's what we want to focus on today as we continue in this series in the book of Joshua. Let's pray and dive in. Father, we do want to hear from you. We know that a lot of times our prayer life is reduced to just us talking at you and a lot of times it's just our wish list. God, please do this. God, please do that. God, please do this. God, please do that. And Lord, we know you're a loving Heavenly Father that loves to fulfill the desires and needs of our lives. But Lord, prayer is so much more. And so, Lord, we just want to start off by saying we're sorry. Please forgive us for all the times that we're too busy talking that we don't listen. And when we do listen and you tell us something that maybe we don't like, we're so sorry for the times we don't obey. So God, today we come to you open ears, open minds, open hearts, asking that we would not only talk to you, but hear from you, and God, give us a will to obey whatever you tell us to do. Bring us truth and insight as we unfold the pages of your word this morning. This is our united prayer in Jesus' name. We all said, amen. Amen. So last week, we were in Joshua chapter 7. We've been, if you're new, we've been going through the book of Joshua in a summer teaching series called He Said. Today, we're going to look at Joshua 8 and 9. Now, just a reminder for those of you that have been here or or just jumping in, uh, we're not covering every word and detail from the book of Joshua. We're encouraging you to read the passages each week. And so right now, if if you've been paying attention, you showed up, you've read Joshua 7, 
You've read Joshua 8, you've read Joshua 9, you have some familiarity, you have some context already. And then uh, we're saying all the other details, just, just read them on your own. And we're, we're going to hit some big themes and topics that emerge from the chapters. And so we have three weeks left in the series. And then uh, when we hit the fall, second week of August, we're going to kick off a new series in the book of Galatians. But we've got three more weeks in Joshua. Now, uh, open up your Bibles to Joshua chapter 8. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 8 and Joshua 9, some selected verses. If you do not have a Bible, like you don't own one, we'd love to give you one as a gift. There's uh, blue Bibles in the Information Center. Please grab one as, for free. It's a gift. Or you can download a good Bible app and you can use that. And we're going to pick up where we left off last week with the nation of Israel's journey and conquest through the land of Canaan in the Middle East. Now, just a brief recap from, from last week. Uh, because you might not have been here from chapter 7. After a supernatural and successful uh, defeat of the city of Jericho, uh, the Israelites are feeling really good about God and, and, and what he's got planned for them and giving them this land of the inheritance, the land of Canaan. And uh, what they didn't know, though, is there was a man named Achan who disobeyed God because God said, everything in Jericho is devoted to me, and I've devoted it to destruction. So except for some gold and silver and some other you know, bronze items that you're going to put in the temple treasury, everything else is just destroyed. Well, Achan saw a cloak that he liked, some gold and silver. He took it, hid it under his tent. And then the Israelites, feeling very confident in themselves, said, well, what city's next? Okay, the city of Ai. That's the next city. And so they sent some scouts out. Scouts came back and told Joshua, oh, man, compared to Jericho, a piece of cake. Just, let's just send a few thousand troops up, you know, call it a day. They were feeling overconfident, but they didn't know about the sin in the camp. And so they got trashed by the people of Ai. They came back defeated. And then through a series of events, God revealed that there was sin in the camp. And they had to identify Achan and the sin. And Achan and his family paid with their lives for the sin that they were hiding. And last week, we really we're reminded about the value of not living in chronic disobedience and living with unrepentant sin because of the damage that it does you, me, the family it does to our families and the damage it does to the church. And so we have to live with repentance as part of our life. Now, with the sin revealed and dealt with and a renewed fear of the Lord among the Israelites, the people are ready for God's next set of instructions. Well, God is going to send them back to I now that they've cleared out the sin issue and the outcome is going to be different. So join me in Joshua chapter 8, look at verses 1 and 2. And it says, The Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear, do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise and go up to I." See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city and his land, and you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. And so over and over again, this is why we call the series, you know, he said, because the Lord said to Joshua, he's speaking directly to him to go. Now, we don't all get that benefit. We'll talk about this in a little bit. But God was obviously speaking directly to Joshua. 
there were many times in Scripture where we see God speaking directly to people in ways that we don't always see now. Uh, We see God speaking through spiritual manifestations, like the burning bush to Moses. Uh, A couple weeks ago, we saw, as uh, Brent talked about, the pre-incarnate Christ, the angel of the Lord spoke to Joshua. Sometimes it's a voice from heaven. Sometimes it's in dreams and visions. But that doesn't mean all dreams and visions are from God. That doesn't mean all angels or reports of angels are actually of the Lord, because there's two types of angels. There's fallen angels, which are numbered among our adversary, the devil. And then there are holy angels doing the will of God. And so we'll talk a little bit more about how God does speak, but we see God saying to Joshua, go back to Ai, and I want you to lay an ambush. And so Joshua obeys what God says. He divides his military. If you read the details, he divides his army. Some go out in the back, and they're prepared. Some are on the sides, some in the front. They rush Ai. It's classic military strategy. Ai sends its soldiers back out, and then Israel flees, and everybody comes out of the city, right? We got this. And then the rest of the Israelites descend upon Ai and absolutely destroy it. Now that is where the hard part comes for us. What happens when God, when we read the Bible, and God is telling his servants to do things that we struggle with, right? Like look again at Joshua 8. Look at verses 18 and 19. Look at what God says to Joshua to do to I. Verse 18 says, The Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the javelin that's in your hand toward I, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city, and the men in the ambush rose quickly out of their place, and as soon as he stretched out his hand, they ran and entered the city and captured it, and they hurried to set the city on fire. A little bit more detail in those verses. If you jump to verse 26 and 27, it says, Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the javelin until he had devoted all the inhabitants of Ai to destruction. Only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as their plunder according to the word of the Lord that he commanded Joshua. Joshua is following instructions. God's instructions were to lay everything to waste and to destroy I. Again, we will never have total peace this side of heaven with these accounts. Only God has full understanding. Only he is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, all those qualities that uh, pertain to the nature of God, only he understands why he has instructed his people to do many of the atrocious things that we record in Scripture. What we do know is that God is good. We know that his will is good. We know that he reigns justly. We know that he's sovereign. We know that he knows what's best. And so our role is to surrender to God's sovereignty and wisdom when we don't understand. Now, there are some aspects that do help us kind of digest these types of events. For example, what we do know regarding these events is that God told Joshua to take these actions as part of divine justice on a wicked people. God could have used plagues. 
He could have used natural disasters. He could have used supernatural events like fire from heaven. God could have took care of the wickedness in the land of Canaan in so many different ways, but in this case, he chose to use his people. The way I said it last week was like, the moral and spiritual cancer of the land was there. The wickedness was great. And what God decided to do to eradicate that was to use his people as kind of a chemo to the land. He could have done it many other ways, but in this case, he chose to use his people as his instrument of judgment upon the Canaanites. It's helpful to remember that God promised Abraham this land that they're in. This land of Canaan was promised to Abraham and his um, ancestors an inheritance. So what Joshua and the Israelites are doing right now is they're taking back a land that was already given to Abraham. This is not a group of people that are just manipulating religious beliefs to exterminate nations or just to invade the land for power grabbing. They're just trying to follow instructions based on God's inheritance commands. It's helpful to remember that the kings of this land and the people of this land were extremely depraved with very evil practices. They worshiped demonic and false idols. They sacrificed their own children to some of their pagan deities. They were hyper-immoral. They participated in extreme sexual perversion and ritual prostitution in their worship. Things beyond our imagination, things we couldn't conceive doing ourselves. And it's also helpful to see God's mercy present in the midst of his wrath and justice. Not everybody through the land of Canaan was destroyed. The the point was to drive them out, to dispose them. Uh, Out of all the cities, there were only three that were actually completely destroyed. Jericho, Ai, and Hazor. The rest, they, they conquered, but weren't completely destroyed. And so we see God's mercy. We see it especially highlighted in Rahab that we talked about a few weeks ago. And Pastor West talked about recently too, that, that God had a special mercy for the one who believed and unfolded her into the Israelite community. If you're struggling still, like here's a couple of verses that help us get some insight into God's why to this directive to Joshua and Israel. In Deuteronomy 9, verses four through five, God says, this is a great caution for the people of Israel. He says, do not say in your heart, After the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, it's because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess the land. Whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess the land, but because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out from before you that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, so that you could have the inheritance that God promised. Uh, He gets a little more specific with some details in Leviticus 18, verses 20 through 25. He says, you shall not lie sexually with your neighbor's wife, and so make yourself unclean with her. You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Molech. This is the sacrifice of their children to pagan deity. And so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman, as it is an abomination. You shall not lie with another animal, with any animal, and so make yourself unclean with it. Neither shall any woman give herself to an animal to lie with it and its perversions. Right, this is, this is pretty bad stuff, right? Do not make for yourselves unclean by any of these things, for 
by all these, the nations I'm driving out before you have become unclean. These are the practices of the nations that God is driving out from before his people. And I love the caution. He's saying, it's not because you're holy. It's not because you're clean or because of your righteousness. It's because this is the land I have for my people and the unrighteousness there I want to drive out so that my people can dwell there. Verse 25, it says, The land became unclean so that I punished its iniquity and the land, this is such a great word image, the land vomited out its inhabitants. Like that, this is not like a dinner table Bible story, right? And so th- this gives us a better glimpse not full understanding. We're not going to walk out of here going, oh, okay, I feel great about this now. But it gives us more insight. Now, the overall story of the Bible is God's mission to restore rebellious creation back to himself. This gritty, difficult section of Scripture reminds us that God is a very holy God. And he devoted Jericho and he devoted I to destruction because they were objects of his judgment because of his holiness. So I spent a little extra time on that because we can't just skip over that, right? Pretend it's not there. Now, as far as us, God may tell you to make difficult decisions. He may tell you to take on a difficult task, but he will not tell you something that will violate his word to us. For example, God is not going to tell you to get drunk because in his word he says not to get drunk. God is not going to tell you not to forgive someone because in his word he tells us to forgive those who've hurt us, right? God is not going to uh, tell you to only look out for yourself because in his word he tells us to look out for the poor and the widow and the orphan. So we have to use discernment when we hear from the Lord. But it's not uncommon for God to tell you to do something outside your comfort zone or that will stretch you or challenge you or be a choice that you would not prefer to make. But by the grace of God, thank the Lord, we're not having to follow instructions like Joshua did during that era where God was doing a particular business in a particular place in a particular way. And so we have to come back to this fact that Joshua was acting on what God told him to do. And it reminds us to seek, recognize, and obey God's voice because it's going to keep us in relationship with him and in alignment with him. All right, we see what's next in Joshua. It's another response after the destruction of Jericho, the loss to Ai, the victory over Ai. We see another national um, moment that is also a response to something God had told them through Moses. Look at Joshua chapter 8, verses 30 through 35. After this victory over I, here's what happens. It says, At that time Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal, just as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offer on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. Verse 32. And there in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And all Israel, 
sojourner as well as native-born, with their elders and their officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priest who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim, half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at the first to bless the people of Israel. Verse 34. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. This moment is a powerful moment. And we're going to unpack it just a little bit here. But it's a response to what God told them to do through Moses much earlier. Uh, we find this in Deuteronomy chapter 27. If you were to look at Deuteronomy 27, verses 2 through 8, here's what you find. On the day that you cross over the Jordan to the land that the Lord your God has given you, you shall set up large stones, plaster them with plaster, you shall write on them all the words of this law when you cross over to enter the land that the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you. And when you've crossed over the Jordan, you shall set up these stones concerning which I command you today on Mount Ebal, and you shall plaster them with plaster. And there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall wield no iron tool on them. You shall build an altar to the Lord your God of uncut stones. You shall not offer, you shall offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. And you shall sacrifice peace offerings and shall eat there. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. And you shall write on the stones all the words of the laws very plainly. And so God is speaking through Moses saying, when you cross over the Jordan, this is a moment I want you to have before the people. I want you to take the entire law. By the way, we're not talking about just the Ten Commandments. This is probably the entire section of like Deuteronomy chapter 5 through like 23, 24, somewhere in there. And, and, and they read the whole thing. Keep that in mind when I go long, by the way, please. We're not reading all that same moment. But, but this right here was a powerful moment. And, and what's going to happen in this moment is he's going to read the blessings and the curses. What does that mean? Well, again, if you were to look in Deuteronomy 28, it says, if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, this is what he's saying to Israel, then the Lord God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings, all the blessings that you'll find in the law as I read through them, shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. So obedience brings blessing. Obedience brings what? Blessing. Right. And what? Obedience brings what? Blessing. Let's make sure we're on the same page. But if you continue, Deuteronomy 28, 15, if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. And so disobedience brings what? Curses. And when you read through these chapters in Deuteronomy, this is all that Joshua read before the people, saying, if you obey, all these blessings will be yours. And if you disobey, these are the hardships 
and the consequences that will come into your life because you don't want God to rule over your life. You want to rule over your life, and that's going to cost you. Um, this is a really fascinating moment that I want to unpack here. What's happening? After they defeat Ai, they, Joshua takes all the people to Shechem. So here's a little map to kind of give you a little orientation here. The people leave where they are. They hike about 30 miles to go to Shechem. If the name Shechem sounds a little familiar to you, maybe it doesn't for most of you, Shechem is the place where God first promised the land of Canaan to Abraham. So they are hiking to the very place where the promise was given. And at that place, in the valley of Shechem, there are two mountains that flake that valley. One is Mount Ebal, which will be the land of, uh, will be the hill of judgment and curses. And one is Mount Gerizim, which is blessings. And even the topography of the mountains, this, this is a giant object lesson that God is leading his people into. Mount Ebal is kind of rugged and rocky. It's a hard place. Mount Gerizim is lush and fertile and has greenery. And then there's this valley below. And if you understand what's happening here, Joshua and the Ark of the Covenant and all the priests are in the middle of the valley of Shechem where God many years before promised this land to Abraham. They're reading the law and half of the tribes are over here on Mount Ebal where they're hearing the curses that they disobey and half of them over here reading the law from the blessings they receive that they obey. And it's this big participatory moment. It's an object lesson because God's basically saying, which hill do you want to live on? Do you want to live on the hill of cursings and hardships and consequences if you choose not to obey God's voice? Or do you want to live on the hill of blessings that come with obeying God's voice? This is just a profound, beautiful moment, this big object lesson that is taking place. Now, fun fact, because sometimes people go like, ah, did this really happen? Well, in the 1980s, a team of archaeologists uncovered a large stone altar made of uncut stones dated back to the time of Joshua. Where do you think they found it? It was on Mount Ebal, right where God told them to build it. They uncovered this massive altar, and around it, ash, bones, evidence of all the sacrifices that had taken place on this altar just as it was written in God's Word. Also, a little while ago, back in uh, 2019 or so, there were another pair of archaeologists, I'm having a hard time with that word today, that as they were sifting through the debris on Mount Ebal, discovered a small 3,200-year piece of lead that after much inspection and all our technology and scans, studies showed that it had an ancient script with the name of God on it, tied to the events we just read about in Joshua 8. The inscription that they deciphered said this, Cursed, cursed, cursed by the God Yahweh, you will die cursed. Isn't that a wonderful piece of encouraging message, right? <laughs> but it ties the events to the location and it's evidence of all that happened in this very moment. One of the archaeologists said, oh, I said it right, said, we have a Hebrew inscription of a curse found on the Mount of Curses. So they were defeated. They listened. They obeyed. They had victory. They took this 30-mile hike 
to the Valley of Shechem. Think about that the next time you have to drive a little bit to church. They listen to hours and hours and hours of the law being read. Think about that the next time your pastor goes long. And they have this moment of understanding if you obey God's voice, it brings blessing. If you disobey, it brings hardship and curses in your life. Now, we see a gospel glimpse here. Always looking for the gospel in Scripture. Think about this. God tells Joshua to build an altar on Mount Ebal, a hill of judgment. And this is a place of condemnation. And there on that altar, the blood of sacrifices would flow to cover the people of their sin. Hundreds of years later, it would be on an ugly hill of condemnation and judgment that the blood of the last and perfect sacrifice would take place. The Lamb of God, Jesus on the cross, that would flow to cover the sins of the people. God meets us in the place of judgment. We are all sinners. We all are rebels who violate God's holiness. We deserve the punishment that is there at Mount Ebal. We deserve the consequences and the curses. But it was there at Mount Ebal. He didn't put the altar on Mount Gerizim. He put the altar on Mount Ebal to cover the judgment. And people had the choice now. Do you want to live with the blessings or the curses? We still have the same decision today. Jesus died on the cross for our sin. His blood covers our sin. He resurrected from the grave, demonstrated his power and authority over death and sin, and then he invites us. Do you want to live obeying me and the blessings that come with it, or do you want to deny me and deal with the consequences? You see how God is consistent God is consistent. He's the same God now that he was there. And he gives us all these little pictures and moments to keep teaching us the same lessons over and over. Why do we have to keep learning the same lessons? We're so thick-headed. We're so hard-hearted. But we have a God who loves us, amen? He's patient with us. There didn't have to be a Mount Gerizim. By the way, when you go to Israel today, you can stand on the top of Mount Ebal and you can put a person over on top of Mount Gerizim and you can talk like this and you can hear each other. You can put a person in the valley of Shechem and you can still hear them. It's a natural amphitheater. All the people heard everything. God is very intentional about what he does. And so as we look at this, they did this because God told them to. So we're reminded, we need to seek, we need to recognize, we need to obey God's voice. It keeps us in relationship with him, and it keeps us aligned with him. Now, what happens next is very interesting. They just had a victory at Jericho, setback at Ai, another victory at Ai, They just had a powerful big worship service. Israel is on a spiritual high. You think at this point, all good. All decisions, they're going to crush it, right? Every decision is going to crush it. Here's the caution. When you're at your highest, when you're at the best, we're most vulnerable. So what happens next is you go to Joshua chapter 9. And what we're about to see is that this news of what the Israelites are doing and really what God's doing 
is going before the Israelites, is getting out all through the land of Canaan. And you start to read through the details of chapter 8, 9, and to 10. We'll see more of this in chapter 10 next week. But all of a sudden, a bunch of the, the people and nations of Canaan go, we've got to unite forces and amass a massive army and go take these guys out. That's what a lot of them are doing. We'll find out more about that next week. But there's another group called the Gibeonites. And by the way, the Gibeonites, it's not like they're this little village out somewhere. They're a massive group of people, mighty military savvy, enough fighting men to do a lot of damage. But they decide to take a different approach. Look what happens. Look at Joshua chapter 9, verse 3. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they on their part acted with cunning and went and made provisions and took worn out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins and worn out and torn and mended and worn out patched sandals on their feet and worn out clothes and all their provisions were dry and crumbly and they went to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, we have come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. You are lying through your teeth. See what they just did? They put together a massive deception. Totally different approach. Let's, let's take it, make it look like we've traveled a long way. Where, let's get all our worn out sandals. Let's get old food. Let's come. They totally, like, how shady is this, right? Oh, man, we're, we're from a distant country. We've heard about your God. He sounds awesome. We wanted to travel to hear about it. So would you make a covenant with us? Here's what they're basically saying. Don't kill us. Don't hurt us. Would, would you make an agreement not to hurt us poor, weary travelers who don't have much? They're lying through their teeth. Here's the lesson. Look at Joshua 9.14. Make sure you're there. On the screen, in your Bible, on your Bible app, if I could only teach one verse all morning, this is it. Verse 14, Joshua 9. So the men took some of the provisions, read this out loud with me, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore to them. Do you see what just happened? What did they fail to do? They pray. They didn't seek God. They just came to their own conclusion. They just, they, here's the bait, and they just took it. They didn't even consult God. You would think at this point that would kind of be a lesson learned, right? But before we're too harsh on them, isn't that ourselves? Aren't we looking at ourselves in the mirror right now? Because typically what we do is like, we reserve the big stuff. God, this big decision. Job, school, college, move, children, marriage, whatever. Big decision, God, we need you. Everything else, we got this. We got this. We don't need you, God. We got this. See, prayer should become our first response, not our last resort. Prayer should always be our first response, not our last resort. We look at what happened. Because Joshua and the leaders, wasn't just Joshua, didn't pray, didn't seek God, where God would have given them the insight that they needed, they made a decision, and what happened is they made a covenant, an agreement not to hurt the Gibeonites who dwelt in the land. What did God tell them to do to all the people that dwelt in the land? Get them out. 
And then later they found out, they're like, wait a minute. And they heard, and like, oh. And some of the Israelites are like, we got to go get him, let's kill him, let's wipe him out. He's like, no, we, we made an oath before God. If, if we break the oath, we discredit God. We've got to live with it. So they didn't kill him. Now, if you keep reading, they made him slaves. You're going to cut our trees, you're going to carry our water, you're going to do all this stuff. So we're going to keep our agreement, but it's going to cost you a little bit. But they allowed themselves to be deceived. Here, here's what like, the Lord impressed on my mind as I studied this. When we don't pray, we become masters of self-deception. We deceive ourselves. Or we're easily deceived by others. Look back over your life. How has that been true? When you haven't sought God, when you haven't obeyed God, you recognize, man, I, I was telling myself a lie and I was believing it. Or these other people were deceiving me. And, and something was kind of off. Instead of really going to God about it, I just kind of went with it and it bit me. So we come back to this moment and recognize the value of prayer, going to God first. What have you missed out on because you didn't go to God first? What blessing, what opportunity, what decision did you miss out on because you didn't go to God first? Or what hardship, what difficulty did you experience because you didn't go to God first? This is a huge, massive lesson for us. We have to seek God. God is the same God today that he was in the time of Joshua. He still speaks to us today. He makes it possible for each of us to have a personal relationship with him through Christ. He, it involves talking to him, communicating with him, speaking, listening, and obeying. Now, does God ever speak in an audible voice? Yes, is that typically how he speaks to us? Not likely. It was a special thing he had for time, but there's still people that heard stories from all over the world how God has shown up in supernatural means, audible voices, visions, dreams. God does that. But what are some of the other ways that God speaks to us? I just want to remind you. First, primarily God speaks through Scripture. We hear from God by reading our Bibles and hearing it when it's preached, and studying it in front of us. God may still speak directly and audibly to people, but most often, he speaks through his word. That's why it's called God's word. God speaks to the Bible. You know, the God that's described in the Bible is and always has been the same God that we continue to follow today. So when he speaks, it's consistent from how he spoke centuries ago to today. And God does speak to people today, but usually it always includes the Bible. Psalm 119, 105, a lot of you know this verse. Your word is a lamp to my feet and light to my path. God primarily guides us and speaks to us through his word. A lot of you have that story. You were praying about a decision, and God's word guided you in the right way. When we hear his voice, we hear it often and most often in scripture. So knowing the Bible... And knowing God in a way that enables you to recognize his voice is going to happen through his word. Second, Holy Spirit nudges. The Holy Spirit will nudge you. God will speak through the nudges of the Holy Spirit, but those nudges will always align with God's word. 
John 16, 13 says, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you in all truth, and He will not speak on His own authority. But whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. And so that nudge, that, that gravitational pull, that push, sometimes fear and boldness mingled together, God will use the Holy Spirit to nudge you. Sometimes when the Holy Spirit's nudging you, there'll be a constant message. It's repetitive. You feel a, a, a decision needs to be made and it keeps coming to you. Or a draw to a particular act that keeps coming to you. Filter that through Scripture. Filter that through other believers. It might be God speaking. Third, confirmation or correction. We don't like that word. Confirmation or correction from other believers. God will speak with that, speak to that, but it will still align with his word. So get other mature followers of Christ who love God, know his word, to hear what you're processing. That's why community groups are so valuable, is God can use that as another filter, another layer of how he can speak to you. But again, what people say, it's never a substitute for God's word. And it should always align with God's word. Sometimes dreams and visions, but again, those will align with God's word. Our, our, our brains are a playground. There's crazy stuff that happens in our minds, right? If, if we had a thought bubble, that just everything we thought was popped up and everybody else could see, like there was a screen that just walked around with us and every thought popped up on that screen, we'd be in trouble, right? So you've got to be careful what happens, but God does use that at times. But again, it'll align with his word. Those are some of the ways I want to remind you of how God speaks. Now, what's most important of everything we talked about in understanding God is you have to know God to know his voice. If I were to play back my last 10 voicemails and said, who is this? You'd be like, I don't know, it's some voice. If I listen to your last 10 voicemails, you'd be like, who's this? I'm like, I don't know. But I recognize, oh, that's my son. That's my daughter. That's my friend. That's my mom. That's my dad. Because I know them. So I know their voice. You might be sitting here today or watching online, and this is a little bit vexing for you because you don't know God. Therefore, you don't know his voice. The good news is God has made himself available to be known through his son, Jesus Christ. He invites you into a relationship. He invites you to know his voice, but you have to take the step of faith. If you've never done that, please talk to myself, one of our staff, the Christian friend who brought you, and just say, what does it look like to have a relationship with Christ? And we'd love to tell you more about that, but take that step of faith. You've got to know the voice of the Lord. Jesus said in John 10, 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I briefly want to tell you about one of the most profound, clear times I heard God speak to me. All my life, I wanted to join the Air Force. That's what I wanted to do as a child. That's what I wanted to do as a young boy. That's what I wanted to do as a teen. I reckoned with the fact that because of my eyesight, I would not get into the cockpit of a plane, which was my life's dream. But I figured I would do something else in the Air Force. Prior to my high school graduation, God closed that door through my eyesight. I couldn't even get in. And so I was left kind of wandering around right around the graduation of high school, going, what do I want to do with my life? So I started exploring some career options, started going to my local community college. And right around that same time, my youth pastor said, hey, why don't you volunteer in the junior high ministry? I said, sure, I can help out. 
as I started volunteering in the junior high ministry, like something came alive. Like I fell in love with it. Like, I, th- I think this is what I'm supposed to be doing. But my pride and my plan wrestled with God. I think he was speaking to me, but I was like, la, 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 right? I had other plans. I had other things I wanted to do. And so there was this moment. I can remember the moment I was sitting in my bedroom in my folks' house. I was working on a project for a, a company I was working for. And I, I had worship music on, and I was talking to God. And this is what I said to God. I said, God, here's what I'd like you to do. Isn't that how we typically? God, here's what I'd like. I'd like to get a good job. I don't want to be rich. I don't want to make a ton of money. I just want to provide for my family, get a job I like, and I'll serve you on the side. I'll still volunteer. Isn't that a great arrangement, Lord? Right? It wasn't audible, but it was the voice of God right here. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. God like, was speaking into my heart. And I'll never forget the words. They're, they're, they're just cemented. They're, they're seared into my heart. He said, you can do that and you'll be happy. But if you serve me with your life, I'll give you joy. Checkmate. Game over. Now here's the thing. Other people already saw what God was doing. I was just being stubborn. I called my youth pastor said, hey, I think God's calling me to ministry. He's like, duh. <laughs> I called Rika. I think God's calling me to ministry. She's like, duh. God spoke. I listened. And I obeyed. I haven't always done that, but I will say this. I have experienced tremendous blessings on Mount Gerizim in my life because I just obeyed that call. I want that for you. You should want that for you. That's what God wants for you. So just a couple questions for you as you're thinking about what you've heard today. Two questions. First one is this. Fill in the blank in your own mind. I know it's God's voice when. When you're praying, when you're seeking the Lord, I know it's God's voice when. How would you answer that? Secondly, I experience what when I obey his voice and I experience what when I don't? What do you experience when you obey God? What do you experience when you don't? Now, this is a community. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to give you about 60 seconds. I want you to pick one of those answers and just share what comes to mind with someone next to you, okay? If someone's not next to you, find someone close. And just share how you would answer one of those questions with each other. Just take 30, 60 seconds and share what came to your mind. And then Aaron and the team are going to lead us in a declaration and close. So find a person. How would you answer those questions? Go. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.